Thanks for coming here this morning. I think it's going to be a great morning. We're going to talk about uh, something near and dear to my heart. And so uh, if you have a Bible, you can open it up to 2 Timothy. Uh, We'll be going there in chapter 1. But there is perhaps no more fearful place on the planet than when you are new to a school and you go into that school. How many of you have been a new kid? And you go in and it is just awkward, right? It just feels weird. Now, when you go into the classroom, that's not so weird. Because like everybody's there, you're sitting, you're facing the teacher. There's a kind of a, an emotional distance with that one. It's when what? It's when you go to lunch. It's when you go to lunch that you walk in there and maybe you got a tray because you got hot lunch or you got a little baggie because you brought your lunch and you're looking around and for many of us instinctually we will look to see who kind of gives us some eye contact or some nonverbal saying you can come sit with me right right and, and of course what are they saying by that you know I choose you to come sit with me. That's why we are so into our appearance because we make choices in a lot of times in who we're going to let into our lives based on appearance. And so, you know, you go, you go in and you just go through that awkward and it's extremely awkward, that awkward processional of I'm in the lunchroom, I'm brand new and who is going to choose me? Who is going to accept me? In fact, you can walk in, and I remember the first time I walked in, I was new to my school when I was a sophomore in high school. That's the most horrible time to be new at a school. I'd rather be first, second grade. I can handle that. Sophomore in high school. I remember I walked in, and I had my lunchbox, and everybody looked at me, and I just felt naked, right? It's like that bad dream, that nightmare you have where you go to school, and you look down, and you're like, oh! You know, I mean, just that sense of I felt naked. And that nakedness produces fear. 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 And so you wonder, am I going to sit with the people who choose to accept me? Or am I going to take the power back and walk around and I'm going to choose to accept the people that I I'm going to sit with because I know I am somebody important. I am somebody special. I am filled with the power of God. Many of you are like, yeah, that's good. I preach as well, but we don't do that. (laughs) Fear, you know, fear. And if it's not in the lunchroom, it's in the boardroom. We're all infected with it. In fact, even the Apostle Paul's most prized apprentice, apprentice, suffered from it and if you go with me to second timothy chapter one beginning in verse four this is what paul writes timothy he says recalling your tears maybe they were tears of goodbye but i think they were much more than tears of goodbye they were tears of paul you're you're paul You know, you need to stay here. I don't know if I can handle this church. I don't know if I can be the leader that God's called me to be. I don't know. I I have been gleaning off of your power. I have been gleaning off of your courage. I have been gleaning off of your boldness. I don't know if I have that for myself. Paul, don't go. And he is crying as Paul goes. 
So Paul says, recalling your tears, Paul says, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. He says, I am reminded of your sincere faith. In fact, for this reason, I remind you, Timothy, I know right now you are scared and you may be crying right now, but I want to remind you to fan into flame the gift of God that was placed on you by the laying out of my hands. Remember that, Timothy? He gathered around you. We all started praying. We commissioned you for this new ministry work and we laid hands. That's so important. Because without that, fear, a powerful fear that in our own power and strength we could never overcome is waiting there, ready to taunt us, ready to slap us, ready to laugh at us, ready to mock at us. That's what fear does. Fear says, come on, let's see what you got. And every last one of us finds out at one point of our life, there are moments we don't have much when it comes to facing our fears. And that's exactly what he's trying to remind Timothy of. Verse 7, he says, for the Spirit of God, for the Spirit that God gives us is not a spirit filled with fear, but of power, love, and self-control. Over the next three weeks, we're going to break down power, love, and self-control. Today, we're going to do power. In verse 8, he says, So do not be ashamed of the testimony about Jesus or me of his prisoner. Why? Because it has power. It says, He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done. You can't be holy because you're so good. You can only be holy because God's so good. Not because of anything we have done, but because of his grace. And this grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, before the earth was made, before the rivers, before the mountains, before the valleys, before it all. God chose you. Don't think about that too long, but think about it enough. It's like forever. You can only think about it for a few seconds, and then you, you got to like get away from there because it's like it's unthinkable. It says it has now been revealed by the appearing of Jesus, who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through His gospel. Immortality, God's power brings us immortality. That though we die, we will live. And by the way, we will live as us. You don't reincarnation is you come back as somebody else. Resurrection, you come back as you. Right? Christians, we believe in resurrection, not reincarnation. If, there, if you got grandma, grandpas, friends, you know, people who have died and they've passed on and, and they were Christian, when you go, you're going to recognize it's going to be them. I saw a movie over the summer. I hadn't seen it before, but it was a movie about um, oh, the guy from Jerry Maguire, the football player from Jerry Maguire. He dies and goes to heaven. Oh, no, wait. Robin Williams dies and goes to heaven. And his son comes back as someone completely different. I remember thinking to myself, that's what's wrong with this. We come back as us. We don't come back as other people, okay? Immortality. Now listen, of all the things that Paul could have written to Timothy, you and I, we can write each other all day, right? I could write you 20 emails. All I got to do is hit send, and what happens? It goes, right? Writing and communicating for us is so easy. For Paul, it was not. Maybe, just maybe, he had one piece of paper. And maybe, just maybe, he had a little ink left in the pen. 
It was not easy. So if you're going to write a letter, you better choose the thing you really want to say because you got one shot at it. And this is what Paul chose to write about. Timothy, I sense some timidity in you, some insecurity. You're more afraid than you realize, Timothy. You don't see it, but we all see it. Anxiety is the driving motive behind everything you do, Timothy. So let me remind you, it is through the gift of God that you minister. And the spirit he has given you is not one of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. See, Paul, as a one-time executioner, Paul was an assassin, right, uh, for the Jewish leaders, rounding up people and killing them. He knows that the one weapon that the enemy can use to hinder us, to drain the life and, and love of God and destroy the life of God in us, is fear. Fear will suck out the joy. Fear, fear will suck out the confidence. Fear will suck out the faith. Fear will suck out everything else and leave you with doubt, confusion, and unbelief. So the enemy knows, man, I'm just going to keep slashing with fear. Fear is the way to go. Fear laughs at us. Fear taunts us. A spirit of fear just tries to grip us and tease us. And so we start performing tricks to try to overcome fear. We start doing back flips and dances all stuff to try to get over fear. But it doesn't work. Fear just laughs louder. The only thing that can come overcome this fear and the powerlessness Let's face it, we are powerless in this world. The strongest person in the world is powerless. Somebody stronger is right around the corner. The biggest empires our world has ever seen, they've all fallen. And I'm sorry, even ours, one day, will fall. There's a powerlessness. How do we overcome it? Paul says in Romans chapter 8, 11, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead now lives in you. And to illustrate this, I have a clip from one of my favorite movies, King Kong. <laughs> Has deep theological meaning, all right? Obviously, King Kong is the fear, and, and the woman, it represents humanity. Let's watch this real quick as you see the interaction between how we try to tap dance for our fears and what eventually we have to say in, over, in order to overcome it. Let's watch.
<laughs> Romans 8.11 The same power that rose Jesus from the grave now lives in you. God's power. You know what's interesting? People, a lot of people, they'll, they'll want to ask me, you know, Tom, you've been, a, you've been a full-time pastor now for nearly 20 years. Volunteer for about five years before that. And, and a question I often get is this. Have you ever seen like a really cool display of God's power? You know, somebody healed or you know rocks just start levitating off the ground you know and and uh, you know limbs start growing back or you know uh, lightning flashing across the sky voice of thunder and all that and because we often that's that's what we want to experience of god's power that stuff is fun it's spectacular it's entertaining we experience we go wow that's amazing but the fact of the matter is is that the power of God is, it's not something you have. It's someone inside of you, right? The power of God does not belong the church to the church. He fills the church. In fact, when it comes to power, power is nothing to God. Uh, he, you know, he can snap his fingers and create a universe, you know? Doing stuff like that is nothing for God. I mean, that's, that, that kind of power we get all trapped in it because we don't have that kind of power, but that kind of power, that is God. To be able to snap his fingers and things happen. I would submit to you that one of the greatest examples of the power of God is not the tricks that he can do for us or the displays of supernatural actions. 
that defy us. I think the greatest example of the power of God is His grace toward us. Is His grace that even in our rebellion, even in our weakness, even in all of our mistakes, in all of the ways we push Him away, in all of the ways we say, I don't believe in you, I don't love you, I don't want anything to do with you, that God looks back and says, but I still choose you! And I still pour my grace upon you. That is power. That is incredible. That is God the Father. I want to read you something here I found. uh, An author named Danny Silk wrote Keep Your Love On. and He wrote something about this in his first chapter. and I kept reading it and rereading it. And sometimes when I feel like fear is rising... (laughs) and my power is just draining, I'll come back and read this just to be reminded of the truth and allow the deception of fear to wane. He says, in John chapter 15, verses 16 and 7, Jesus says something powerful. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Remember the lunchroom? We're all waiting to see who chooses us, you know? Or, or, or Jesus says, no, no, no. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you may go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. This verse is totally about God's power. What is he saying? I choose you no matter what. Nobody can come in between my choice. There's no devil, there's no demon, there's no circumstances, there's no amount of your sin, not even you. Nothing can come in between my choice to choose you. Now that's power. Power like we've never known. He says, I choose you no matter what, and I will never unchoose you. God is powerful enough to keep his word, and he knows he will keep it. The foundation of God's relationship with us is that he chose us. While Jesus was being tortured and beaten, he chose you. While Jesus was being nailed and speared, he chose you. While we treated him like an enemy, he chose us. In our most blatant rebellion, he chose us. God's relationship does not depend on our choosing of him, but solely on him choosing us. He says, and he looks us in the eyes when when he says it. He says, I'm not afraid of you. I'm not seeking to control you. I'm not afraid of what you'll do. I'm not afraid of your sin. And by the way, neither should you. Because I chose you. And I forgive you. God's love, acceptance, and forgiveness is the very source and foundation of all power. That who is living inside of us. That's all great and dandy, but where did this fear come from and how does it manifest? Well, it goes all the way back to Genesis chapter three. The fear that we have inside. And by the way, I love how people say, oh yeah, I've really eradicated most of my fear. It is, we are infected with it in ways we can't even see. Back in Genesis chapter 3 is where we get the inherited fear from. It says this. This is where Adam and Eve are in the garden and the serpent tempts them to eat of the forbidden fruit. 
And the moment they ate of that fruit, that is when the fear came and infected our souls. It says, then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden and in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. The Lord God called the man and said, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. That's the first time Adam ever uttered, Adam ever, uh, ever uttered the words, I am afraid. For the first time. And the first person he says it to is God. I was afraid, so I hid. That's key. One moment, they were living in the power of God. And in the next moment, all of their actions were instinctually produced by fear. And that is the existence that most of us, all of us, have known is the instinct of fear. Let me break it down for you. First of all, their eyes were opened. Fear gives birth to a powerless mindset. Powerlessness. If you really think about it, we struggle with powerlessness. Powerlessness in our own being. You hear that a lot when people say, I can't do that, or I don't do that, or that's just not me, or it's too hard, or it's too difficult, or it's impossible. Translation, I am powerless in my life. You know, I can't overcome this addiction or I don't uh, really pray or, or don't think I'll ever be someone who can or, or I can't forgive or I can't be kind or I can't not be rude or I can't control my temper or I can't control my mouth or I can't do this. What they're saying is I am a powerless person. And what God's trying to say is, uh-uh. That's birthed from fear and I have not given you a spirit of fear but of power love and self-control it says their eyes were opened second thing is this anxiety becomes the driving force behind every motive if you think about it so much of what we do in life is motivated on fear you know uh we don't want to live on the streets so we're, we're motivated to get our jobs we don't want to you know uh, have health issues when we're older, so we take our vitamins and we do all this exercise. So much of what we don't want to be alone, so we find somebody to marry, anybody to marry sometimes. And, and so much of what we do, when you really break it down, we are alleviating an internal fear. So anxiety becomes the driving force behind every motive. That part where it says they hid from God. They're saying this world is too powerful for us. If money isn't our problem, then it's health. If health, if our health doesn't fail, it could be our relationships. If not our relationships, it could be our emotions. A whole bunch of things could happen, and we know that, and it increases that sense of feeling powerless. Well, without God, we only have who to help us? People, right? Who in particular? The government, right? Now, how many of you are like, I trust the government to help and fix and solve everything, right? You know, I'm just kidding. They're, man, have you seen, you know, no, we don't do that. Why? Because they're the same fearful, broken people we are. We need somebody not like us in order to help us overcome this inherited fear. Number three, 
Fear suppression becomes the instinctual reaction. They sowed fig leaves. They were going to take control. Fear of loss, fear of pain, fear of death. Because we have all of these fears, here's how it exhibits itself in our lives. We want to control people, circumstances. We want to be able to control everything around us. Now, controlling circumstances to a degree, there's nothing wrong with that. Where does it become wrong? When we try to control people. And some of you may say, you know, I don't try to control people. Eh, You probably do a little more than you think. Any of you had a temper tantrum lately? That temper tantrum is meant to control. It is. Abusers throw a temper tantrum and try to alter the reactions of the person that they're throwing the temper tantrum on. How many of you played the, the victim card lately? Oh, nobody likes me. Nobody calls me. I'm just so hopeless. Oh, and you're looking for a rescuer, right? To come and, and it's, I mean, you, we don't realize how subtle it can be, how we can begin to do stuff because we are trying to control other people's responses around us. We are trying to control other people's actions and reactions around us. Number four, fear teaches us to approach relationships as consumers rather than contributors. How many of you have someone like this? You look so happy, and I need some of that happiness in my life, so let's get together so I can consume all of your happiness, right? How many of you have met one of those, you know? I mean, they're unhappy, they see your unhappiness, so they just go, and they just wanna suck all of the happiness out of you, why? Because they are powerless. They are unhappy because they have no power. They're not accessing God's power. They're living in the powerlessness of fear. So what happens? They may not be looking to God to get it, so they will be looking to you. And if you've got something that somebody else doesn't got, they'll suck you dry for it. And here's the thing. You may say, oh, people aren't that mean. They don't even know they're doing it. It's instinctual. It's instinctual. Uh, you, you know, it's like Paul and Timothy. Timothy was probably crying because he had been consuming off Paul all those years. And I was like, wait, Paul, you're leaving and now I'm in charge of the church? No. Yes. Paul's saying, you don't have the spirit of fear. You've got power, the same power that lives in me, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that lives in you, Timothy. How quickly we can become consumers. Because we're not getting, by the way, next week, I'm going to break this down a lot more. So I know some of you are like, oh, I'm going out of town next week. It's Labor Day. Don't change your plans. Next week, (laughs) I am going to, no, seriously, especially if you're married and you've gone through some marriage conflict, I'm going to show you something I think is going to set so much free because I hate to say it, when I meet with husbands and wives who are struggling, you know often what I see? Two people trying to consume off of each other because they don't have it in and of themselves. And what happens is the more you consume and the, and the, and the more they go down, you begin to get afraid because all of a sudden you can't consume from them anymore. So what do you do? Well, we'll just divorce this person, find somebody that's got, and then we'll just consume that and divorce this, you know? Adam and Eve, they chose to consume 
the forbidden fruit rather than contribute to God's garden. See the difference? Fear causes us to become consumers of people rather than contributors in their lives. Another one, fear causes us to blame others. The reason why their life isn't going well, the reason why their marriage isn't going well, the reason why their children aren't doing well, the reason why their job isn't going well, the reason why their finances is the way it is, is because of other people, not their own choices. No, 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 we can't take responsibility for our own choices. It's other people, other things. Some nebulous force out there is against me, and I'm just going to blame everything and everyone. Peel that back, and it's fear. In fact, I would submit to you this. The person who blames others is perhaps the most powerless person on the planet. For they are saying, I can't take responsibility for who I am in my life the way it is. It's others. That is the ultimate of powerlessness. Everybody else has control and power over my life, and I, am, I, I have to blame everybody. I, I am obviously powerless. And what Paul is saying is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in you. You are not powerless. You may have to take some responsibility. It may take some time. We're going to get you there, but we're going to tell that fear, get out. You are no longer the spirit that lives in me. So what is the result? The result for Adam and Eve was what? Fig leaves, right? Fig leaves. They put fig leaves to cover their nakedness. Now, obviously their literal nakedness wasn't a problem. They were married. Even today, you can be married and naked with each other. So it's not the physical nakedness. It was the exposure of their choice against God. And so they're trying to sow fig leaves so that they can try to create a barrier between their fears and God. And if I could tell you this, if there's anything I've seen as a pastor for over 20 years, I see people who live like that. In fact, I asked Mike this morning, uh, our drummer, to bring in, he's a, uh, part of the SWAT team, to bring in a bulletproof vest. Because, let's face it, we no longer even know what a fig leaf looks like. Right? So this is what we do. We strap on a nice bolt. I don't even need to strap it. I think you get the point. And we put these helmets on, right? And this is us, Mark San Diego. Come on down. <laughs> You're the next contestant on Let Pastor Tom Embarrass You in a Sermon. <laughs> you don't know it. You don't, we don't recognize it. But this is how so many of us live right? We live with, we live with masks, right? We live with walls so that we can keep a nice separated distance. And when we go to enter into relationship with somebody, give me a hug. <laughs> okay. <laughs> see that? See, see what's in between us? We have this bulletproof vest so that we don't get hurt. We don't experience pain. We don't get penetrated. Why? Because there's fear there so we walk around we got the helmet we don't want anybody controlling us so we got the helmet we don't want anybody hurting us so we got the bulletproof vest thank you mark and we walk around 
and live life this way. And God says, you know what's going to happen? This is going to get heavier and heavier and heavier and heavier until pretty soon this is life. You're crawling around under the weight of fear and fear will eventually paralyze you to the point where you're just face down, not moving. And God says, you know what? He comes up to us and he says, take this off. You don't need it. You've got me. Just put it down. Take this off. Yes, you may get hurt. Trust me. I can do a lot in you through the hurt. Take it off. You don't need it. Grow through the hurt rather than doing everything you can to avoid it. Allow it to become your teacher. Allow it to become that which empowers you rather than that which you run from. God says, let me replace all of that fear that you inherited. Let me replace it with my power. But you have to let me because I don't control anybody. So a couple of things to take home. We're almost done, don't worry. First, true power means that you do not try to control other people. Not through manipulation, not through coercions, temper tantrums, I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine. Not through any of those. That's, those are all attempts to control people. Let me ask you this. Who is the most powerful being in all the universe? God. Let me submit to you a fact. He has never used one ounce of that power to control anybody. He has never broken their free will. Lucifer, you want to become the devil? Okay. If it were me, I'd have like been a little controlling in that moment. You will not become the devil. <laughs> I don't like the devils. I, you know... Adam and Eve, you want to eat the, just before Eve went to bit, I'd have been, no, 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 no. I mean, I, I, I'll tell you, in, I, we, we're controllers, aren't we? God is not. God has all the power in the universe, and never once has he used it to control, manipulate, or coerce another person. Isn't that amazing? If we had all the power, well, you saw my example of Bruce Almighty last week, you know. What would we try to do with it? Number two, refuse to be victims. Victims, oh, I just need love. Oh, I just need happiness. Oh, I just need someone to come and make me happy. Oh, I just need someone to come and love me. You know what? Skip all that and say, you know what, God? Fill me with love so I can go love somebody else. And then you will experience what true love is. You know what, God, you know, produce a joy in me so that I can go out and contribute happiness into the world rather than suck it and consume it from everybody around me. Refuse to be a victim. We are actually, next week, I'm going to break down a very common cycle of victim and abusers and rescuers and how those all interact. So you're going to want to come next Sunday because that is going to be a key insight that's going to help you not just in marriage relationships, but in all relationships. How we contend to pick one of those three or be in two of those three, rescuer, victim, or abuser, 
and the cycle just continues. We're going to break that cycle next week. I'm going to give you some things that I think are really, really going to help. Third thing, God's power looks toward tomorrow. We are so concerned with reacting toward the needs of today that we often don't realize our decisions build upon each other. When we always react with a temper tantrum, when we always react trying to control people, when we always react in fear, we always, that's just it. We're always reacting, and it's always focusing on the moment, living for the moment. When we begin to respond, we're trying to build for a better tomorrow. Yes, pain may happen today, but it's just a setback. It's not the end of the world. God's power builds upon the pain. God is a builder and a grower and a creator. And then finally, number four, powerful people, people filled with God's power, they let their yes be yes. And their no is no. That's a key hallmark. I hope all that, that can be said of all of us. When God says, I choose you. When God says, I forgive you. When God says, I heal you. When God says, I am in you. He will never not be in you. He will never unchoose you. He will never unlove you. He will never unheal you. With people, eh, okay, he said it. Hopefully it'll happen. But with people, we inherently know we can break our word. We can go back on it. That's why sometimes we don't trust God because we place our relationships with people on God. We think, well, yeah, God forgave me. God loved me, but trust me. If, he watched, if he's been watching my life over the last 20 years, he don't want anything to do with me anymore. No, that's not true. That's insulting to God. When God says, I choose you, I love you, and I forgive you, then that's it. It's settled. There's nothing you can do, and he's not afraid of anything you can do that's going to change that. Isn't that amazing? No matter what, people who are filled with God's power, they wake up every day and they say, this is going to be a great day. You know why they say that? Because no matter what circumstance may come in, they don't operate in the spirit of fear, but with power, love, and self-control.